Brilliant. Well, Josh has already prayed, so let's get straight into it. Don't uh, let that Bible shut. We're in Romans 12, 9 to 21. There was a, an article in my newspaper a little while ago with the rather extraordinary headline, Hormone Spray Helps to Break the Ice at Parties. Apparently, uh, scientists have found that inhaling a chemical that's naturally produced uh, in your brain, a sort of hormone known as the uh, cuddle chemical or the love hormone, uh, that can make people begin to trust strangers. Now, I'm not sure whether you sort of spray this on yourself when you're feeling a bit shy, or whether you try and subtly spray it on your intended target uh, in the room. I'm not sure how that works. But, but the idea is it produces an involuntary chemical reaction, and they just start feeling, feeling good about you. Now, now, most people, I think, would say that's what love is. It's the way that I feel towards someone else because of the way they make me feel about myself. It's an emotion. It's not something we can control. And love is primarily, therefore, something about receiving. You make me feel good, therefore I feel love towards you. It's about what another person brings into your life. But love in the Bible is very different. Love in the Bible is wholeheartedly other person-centered. And we're going to see today, often that goes against our feelings. It's about us giving ourselves, sometimes when we don't want to. It's not about what people bring into our lives, but it's actually about what we can put into other people's lives. That's the sort of love we, we had at the big day out yesterday. I mean, you might have felt our first song this morning should have been I'm Still Standing by Elton John. But the... Um, what is it that got 170 of us to spend not just the hottest day of the year slogging away with smiles on your faces, putting up gazebos and painting faces and playing games, or, or made them not just do that, but plan for months of preparation and then, then pray about it, simply to say to our local community a very simple message, there is a God who loves you. That's the sort of love that we're talking about in the Bible that is all out in serving others. And why is it that God can call us to, to love like that? How on earth could we love like that? Well, we saw that last week, if you were here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Just look to Romans 12, verse 1. Paul, Paul outlines an extraordinary plan of God's love in Romans chapter 1 to 11. Uh, his love for a world that rejects and hates him. And he says in Romans 12 verse 1, Therefore, in the light of this plan of God's love, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Literally, in view of God's mercy is through the compassions of God. That that's the lens that we're to view our lives every moment of, of every day as Christians. Those compassions of God. So that means that our lives are viewed through the fact that though we had rejected God, though we worshipped creation rather than the creator, though we failed to keep God's law, he in his love sends his one and only son, as we've heard repeatedly and sung this morning, to die on a cross to deal with the punishment we deserve for the way we've treated God. So that now we're, we're adopted into his family. We're declared right with God forever. We who are by nature enemies have become his children. And more than that, we're taught in Romans 1 to 11 that he's poured his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. 
So now we're free from living from self and we're empowered to serve Christ and to love others. And so Paul says that's the lens you've got to view your life. If you, if you have any hope of, of living a life of love towards other people, you've got to every morning get up and think, I am someone who is saved and loved by God because of his compassion upon me. And that's not just your view of the world. It's more than that because it's through the compassions of God that is the power to change your life. God's compassion is the only way that your life will change to become one of love. And everything else I'm going to say this morning will just become for you a list of, oh my goodness me, how am I going to do this? Things to do and don't unless your life is viewed through the compassion of God. That's the, that's the beginning and end of living for the Lord Jesus. That every day you do it only because of his grace, his unconditional love to you. And because of that, the Apostle Paul says, we've got to love one another. Look at verse 9. We've got to have a sincere love. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Literally, it says, love must be unhypocritical. Uh, in the uh, Greek play, that word hypocritical referred to the, the masks the actor would wear. In, in a Greek play, you didn't do like character acting like Robert De Niro. You just stuck a mask in front of your face that, that had the face of the character you were playing. And you hid behind the mask. That's where we get our word hypocritical from. It's hiding behind a mask. So Paul says your love mustn't be the sort of love that's just a mask you put on on Sundays. That just smiles lovingly at one another but has no intention to, to do anything in your life for the sake of one another. Your love must be no sincere. And actually, that sincere love is really the difference between good and evil. Because you see, in the Bible, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is self-love thinking primarily about ourselves. And so when Paul says in verse 9, hate what is evil and cling to what is good, good and evil here are all about the ways that we either love ourselves or we love others. Good is about loving others. Evil is about the way we just think about ourselves. That's because we live in a, a created universe where the primary thing that, that matters is relationship. Good and evil are all about the way we relate to one another. It's one of the beautiful distinctives of the Christian faith. That, that actually what matters above everything else is a loving relationship with God and a loving relationship with one another. That's because the universe we live in was created by a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit in a perfect relationship of love within himself, giving of himself and then pouring out his love in creation and pouring out his love in making us his children. If you're not a believer in God, then you've just got a universe that's made of stuff and your life is just about making yourself feel better with the stuff you can get. But that's not the real world. The real world is one where actually the heart of it is love and relationship matters more than anything else. So in the Christian life, good and evil are not primarily about what we watch on telly or whether we say rude words or even how many church meetings we turn up to. They're actually about how we love this rather strange family that God has put us in that he calls the church. That's why Jesus said, by this they'll know you're my disciples. Not 
by the way you don't say knob or the way you don't watch 18 films or the way you never drink too much of the party. No, by the way you love one another. That's how, how people will know that you're my disciples, says Jesus. So what we're going to see is Paul says we've got to be a family that loves one another. We've got to be a family that loves the world. Here's the first thing he says. We've got to be a family that loves one another. And I just want you to, to imagine as we look at these categories, don't imagine them as a list of things, oh, I've got to do this. Imagine them as a beautiful picture that Paul is painting of what a church should be. Just imagine a church like this. Look, look verse 10 with me. A family that loves one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And the devoted and love here are both family words. They're, they're to remind the Christians in Rome who come from a Jewish background and a Gentile background, a non-Jewish background. That was the biggest division in the ancient world. It's to remind them they're actually united in one family, adopted by the same loving Heavenly Father, children of the same God, brought together by the death of Jesus. So, so Paul says, you're in this family of love, be devoted to one another, have a devoted family love to one another. And that means honoring other people above yourself. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? If I can be devoted in love to you as much as I want to be, then that's okay. But if I have to love you so that I honor you above myself, that is hard work. Because your interests, your well-being goes above mine. We're to sort of outdo one another in honoring each other, in helping one another, in loving one another. We're to put others' needs before our plans. We're to put others' help before our comfort. And the only way we're going to do that is, is if it flows out of our relationship with God through Jesus. But because look at what Paul says in verse 11. No wonder he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You see, there's a direct relationship in our relationship of love with the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for one another. You see, in the end, loving one another is not about how much we like one another. <laughs> it's actually, you see what it's about at the end of verse 11? It's about serving the Lord. So, so even if you don't like them, you love them because you're serving the Lord Jesus. Often, the best way to love someone is not to think about them, but to think about Jesus. And lukewarm Christians, they, they can become selfish when, when you're zeal for Jesus dies down. But red-hot Christians, Christians who are deeply rooted in the fact that God is gracious to them, Christians who are, who are very aware of God's love for them, are capable of great acts of loving others. Did you remember chapter 12, verse 1? Those who are viewing their life through the compassions of God. That's why people often at the heart of the church have the greatest experience of the love of God in the church. But because each service they're at or each prayer meeting or each life group they go to is a, a filling station where they hear of God's gracious love for them and that enables them to, to love others. Now it's barbecue season. I was having the first barbecue 
uh, a few weeks ago. And you know that stage, if you've got the old charcoal bricks, the lumps, when at the beginning you're trying to basically pile them on top of each other, but they've been designed so they always fall off, but you know you've got to pile them up in a pile at the beginning so that they're all together and they burn properly. Otherwise, you know, you have those ones at the edge that never change to white and they're totally useless and you've got to cook one sausage at a time in the middle. So you're piling them up because if they're there in a group together, they burn, they're hot, they glow, they become orange. But as soon as they roll off, as they always do, down to the edge, they're black and they're useless. Well, it's the same with Christians. Well, when we're together, well, we, we are zealous, we're hot, we're passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we meet with God's people, when we're encouraging one another, when we're hearing his word, but, but when we slowly make church less or just can't hang out with other Christians as much, we, we roll off down the side and we, we, quickly, we quickly cease to glow. But, but the great news is when, when that coal is brought back into the, the heart of the barbecue, it, it, it will heat up again. And that's why Paul says if you're going to love one another... You've got to keep your spiritual further up. If you're going to serve the Lord, well, you need to draw close to him. Because serving Jesus is not easy in this world. Do you see that in verse 12? He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You see, we're called to love one another in a world that, that actually is not all that it should be. You know that, don't you? This is not it. Christians live with a hope that gives us joy in this world of suffering, that enables us to keep going with patience because we're looking forward to experiencing God's love fully forever in a new creation. Uh, the Christians in Rome were probably having a, a pretty tough time around about AD 57. I think Nero's on the throne, that the screws are being turned up a little bit more in terms of persecution. Uh, and what happens when you have a hard time is, is quite often you become a little bit more self-centered, don't you? Sometimes in, in personal suffering, we, we look inwards, self-love increases, self-pity, and we, we want self-indulgence. We think, oh, I'm, just, I'm having such a hard time, I, I can't do anything for anyone. But Paul says, no, when our eyes are fixed on future glory, we can be patient and endure. And we can actually only do that as we pray actively I, was, I went to visit a, someone in church last week who's undergoing treatment for a very serious illness um, he's, he's lost a lot of weight he was totally physically exhausted but what struck me about our time together was that the conversation from this couple was all about how they were concerned about other people in their life group and how they were suffering and, and had I followed them up as the pastor and, and were they on the prayer sheet were we praying for them you see, that's a, it's a love, isn't it, according to verse 12, that's joyful in hope, patient in affliction. And you can only do that if you're sustained in prayer. Not, not just personal prayer, but, but the prayers of your whole church family, one for another. It's one of the great blessings of technology in our life group has been WhatsApp. And our life groups are, by the way, our small midweek groups. If, if you're not uh, regular here at CC. Uh, they're the groups where we meet to study the Bible and to pray for one another. And what we do through WhatsApp is we share what we need to pray for week in, week out. Uh, and so we can pray for people as they struggle in a difficult workplace, or they struggle in a difficult family context, or they struggle with that hospital appointment. That, that's loving them. 
Do you see? Our love for one another flows out of our relationship with God and then it flows into our relationships with other people. But, but if you're going to love other people, you've got to be feeding your relationship with God. And here, Paul says, that will then mean that we relate to other people in a particular way. First, he talks about hospitality. Do you see that in verse 13? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, these are actually two commands, okay? These are not options. These are as much commands as do not commit adultery or do not steal. Yep, they're imperatives in the original. Share with those in need and practice hospitality. And the word hospitality literally means love strangers. In other words, love people who aren't our family or our friends. And the way we show hospitality is, is sharing with God's people when they're in need. That, that might be a, a listening ear over a cup of coffee. It might be sharing a meal with other Christians to encourage them. It might be offering someone a room for a night or maybe even a, a Christian worker your spare room for a year. It might be giving to someone or lending someone some money when they're in a bit of a fix financially. It might be lending someone your car when they haven't got one to make a trip. It might be cooking a meal for someone because they're ill or, or they're struggling in life. The list is endless. Practice hospitality. Share love with those who are in need. Now the problem we face with this is, is our culture around us is very self-loving. And our hearts as well will drift back, won't they, to self-love. Uh, as one commentator put it, the home has become a private possession set up to serve the pleasure of the individual or the small family unit. That's the way we think it's our home, and it's really extraordinary of us to invite people in. An Englishman's house is literally his castle. But in fact, our homes are God's possession, given to us by him so we can love each other. That, that's what's so distinctive about Christian love, is we do that for strangers, for people we don't know, people we don't even know whether we're going to like them. People maybe we even don't want to know. Someone has brilliantly said, hospitality is making someone feel at home when you wish that they were at home. <laughs> That's hospitality. And it's that sort of battle of self-sacrificial love that Paul commands. And it is a battle, because look, next he talks about unity. You see, most people think love in the world is about, I'll love you if you love me. And if you give me a hard time, I'm going to ignore you. Or, or even worse, I'm going to slag you off. But Christian love is very different. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, Paul probably here isn't talking about people who aren't Christians persecuting the church. He's going to say something about that later. He's probably talking about what's happening in the church in Rome, where the Jewish Christians are looking down on the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians, because they're not keeping the Jewish laws, and the Gentile Christians are looking down on the Jewish Christians because they've not got real freedom from those laws yet. And Paul says, no, you, you've got to bless people who are giving you a hard time in the church. So, so when someone says something unkind, well, I don't know about you, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. But we should bless them. Because, of course, that's what Jesus did. Jesus, when he was crucified, as he hung on the cross, prayed, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
it's a very effective way to bless someone who's giving you a hard time is to pray for them. I don't know if you've tried that. <laughs> Not a self-righteous sort of prayer. Lord, please help them to see how wrong they are and to start treating me properly. We're not that unsettled, are we? Oh, I pray for unity in our church, Lord. You convict sinners of their sin. Not that sort of prayer, but, but pray for their well-being genuinely. And you'll find your attitude towards them changes. Remember the principle from verse 10? We've got to be devoted in love to one another. Unity, and then he talks about empathy. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Again, our culture says, look, you can be self-centered about your emotions. That's, that's what you should be. You, you should look into your own life and, and try and work out why you feel the way you do and then feel better about yourself. Be self-absorbed. The, the self-help sections on the internet and in bookshops are enormous. The religious sections are tiny. But Paul says, no, God wants you to be other people absorbed. To, to the extent that you're so absorbed with your, your Christian family that, that their sadnesses and sorrows become your sadnesses and sorrows and their joys and celebrations become your joys and celebrations. Be happy when they're happy and literally it says weep when they weep. Now you can't manufacture emotions, can you? You can't manufacture empathy. It will mean a depth of relationship with one another. That's why we urge people to be part of those small life groups so they can know people in a way that means that they can love them tangibly and passionately. And I have to say that if you're someone who meets with me regularly, you'll know one of my prayer requests for me is that I would love the church more. I'm, I'm, I'm convicted, really, that I do not love the church, do not love you enough as I should. You know, landed in the middle of a big church even three years ago. I want to love you more. To, to feel your pain and to feel your joy more. I wonder, afterwards, we're, we're going to be, a few of us down here praying. It'd be lovely if you wanted to come and to be prayed for. If you feel you're someone who maybe isn't as empathetic as you should be to other Christians in your church family, why not come and pray that the Lord would move your heart, that you would love people more, that their joys might be yours and their sadnesses might be yours as we share life together following the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a deep love from that, deep love like that, it'll only come from humility, won't it? Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Nothing destroys loving relationship like pride. Literally, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. It's extraordinary that that could happen in a church, but it does, doesn't it? We're, we're actually a family who've been brought together in our belief that our personal sin is so serious that the, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to die for it. We're a family that believe everything we have has been given us by God. We're a family that believe we're only here today because God has set his love on us. And yet somehow we look down upon others. And Paul says, no. Live in harmony with one another. Don't think highly of yourselves. Don't be willing to associate with people of, of lower position. Don't be conceited. 
Don't, don't literally be wise according to yourself. This associate with anyone. Maybe, maybe in Rome, you know, Nigel was thinking, well, I'm a banker and, you know, uh, Ian's only a bricklayer, bricklayer, so perhaps some Ian's got his bricklayer mates and I'll go and talk to some important banker people like me. No, says Paul. The gospel, the good news of Jesus has brought you into one family, united. It cuts across all the barriers of the world. Do not look down on anyone. Associate with them. Do you know, one of the things that I'm celebrating most about the big day out, in fact, one of the things that people commentated on most wasn't the caving or the climbing wall. It was this, that on one of the hottest days of the year, that the people set the thing up and then cleared the thing up uh, and there really wasn't much of a crossword. In fact, people can't really remember there being a crossword between the people doing it. And that, that was noticed by those who came. That, that harmony, that only comes because there is a God who loves us in the Lord Jesus. Now, now can you see that beautiful picture of a loving church family with, with this, this deep sense of hospitality where they're in and out of each other's homes where they're they're looking out and practically helping each other in need where there's a a unity where you don't catch little groups of people commenting on one thing or another where there's an empathy where their hearts are moved by the experience of life that other people have where there's a humility and no one thinks they're better than anyone else because they're only people loved by the Lord Jesus Christ well wouldn't that be an extraordinary family to be a part of an extraordinary family for, for people to look in and see. Because, because if the world looks in on a family like that, well, well then surely they want to know more of that love. Because we are called briefly to be a family that loves the world. Not brief in our love for the world, but brief in terms of the length of this point compared to the other one. Now I don't know about you, but, but quite often there's nothing quite as satisfying as getting your own back. At the traffic lights. One of the highlights of playing sports, isn't it? So, in the mall, it's a rugby term. Watch the World Cup, it'll all become clear to you. It's in September. Yeah, someone maybe offers you a traditional Welsh rugby greeting. Yeah, lands one on you. And then you just leave it for a while. But the next time you see that number, yeah, you hammer into him, shoulder down into his back, and he collapses in pain, and you walk away feeling slightly better about yourself. So tempting, isn't it? That'll teach them. Now, now fortunately, God, God doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He's not a tit-for-tat God. We, we ignore him. We treat him lightly. We might even say we're his followers. And we hardly give him a second thought. And he gives us his son. And he's patient with us. And he loves us. And therefore, Paul says, in the way you relate to the world, you've got to reflect the God who loves you. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't get even. In fact, we should try and live out such good lives in front of people, not just when we're in church. (laughs) That would be the hypocritical love, wouldn't it? Now, this is about the way we treat the waiter in the restaurant, or the way we treat the girl who serves us at Lidl, or the way we treat the car that cuts us up and offers us a hand signal they don't teach you in the highway code. That's verse 17, isn't it? Quite clear. Do you see the problem words, by the way? These are the problem words in the Bible. Look at the problem words in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Well, there went the opportunity to not, command, not to obey this at any point in our lives. Anyone and everyone. That would be all the time then. That's how we've got to love. Not repaying evil for evil at all. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh no, there's that word again. Everyone. Now, I, I know there are people here this morning who maybe aren't even at peace with members of their own family. I know that because I'm one of them. And, and maybe like me, you think, well, that's their fault. doesn't depend on me. I mean, they are blooming awkward. But is, that, is that strictly true? Have you, have you done everything you can to be at peace with them? Everything? That there'll, of course, always be people who, who won't let us be at peace with them. I've got a, a, a mate who's whose neighbour patrols the road outside and uh, once took him to court for the way that some visiting friends had parked their car too close to his drive. There'll always be people like that in the world. But as far as it's up to us, are we living at peace with everyone? Because we don't need to, to win our little petty battles because of the God we know. Look at verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul quotes here from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 32. He says, look, God's the bringer of justice, so you can suffer injustice now, and you don't have to get your own back. That doesn't mean we shouldn't campaign for justice, but it means we shouldn't be part of our, our self-centered, litigious culture that wants to get money out of everyone whose pavement we trip up on. We must overcome, says Paul, evil with good and so he says in verse 20 on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head what he means by that is not the person who's giving you a hard time at work make them a cup of coffee so when judgment day comes it'll be worse for them no, no he's saying in the way you love them you might bring shame upon them a shame that that makes them feel that, that your life is so distinctive that they want to find something out about the God who loves you because you've shamed them by your good behavior. That, that's what he means in verse 21. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I was reading this passage with a, a bloke uh, this week, reading the Bible one-to-one, -one, and he actually told me a story about how his dad had been attacked when this bloke was a, a lad. He managed to defend himself and then leg it away from the situation. But afterwards, he was, he was charged uh, with assault, and the case went to court. It was a terrible time for the family, apparently. They had to pull the kids' beds away from the windows because there was a danger of people throwing stones in and breaking the glass in quite a, a community of, of tension. Well, the court case totally exonerated and my mate's dad, he was found completely innocent. And afterwards, the solicitor sat him down and said, right, now it's your turn. You can sue them for wrongful arrest. You can sue the people who assaulted you. It's time for your day in court. And my mate's dad's a Christian. And, and he said, no, I'm not interested in doing that. So I believe, I believe in a God and I'm, I'm happy to leave them to God's justice. And if he shows them mercy, well, then show them mercy. If they face his justice in the end, they'll have to face his justice in the end. But, but I don't need my day in court. And the solicitor just couldn't get it. Just didn't understand it. 
Because that's verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just as we finish, just, just think about the impact we'd have on the world if we loved each other like this and we loved the world like this. It goes so much, doesn't it, against the grain of the culture we live in. This is a love that will really change other people's lives. It'll be costly to us. It'll mean fighting our selfish desires for a quiet day with the family. A lot of people fought those desires yesterday and served at the big day out. It was hot and hard work. Let's not pretend it wasn't. Maybe some of you just went for the quiet day with the family. It was hard work. But the only thing that will bring us to love one another like that is actually if we do it because we have first been loved by God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only as you view your life through the compassion God has shown you that you'll be able to love others. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know that love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and it sounds attractive to you, well, again, why not come to the front at the end? And you can receive Christ. God can give you that love in the Lord Jesus, even today, if only you will come to him. So in view of God's compassionate, persistent, patient, determined love for us, let's be devoted to one another with a sincere love. And let's love the world for Jesus' sake. Amen.